Jazz lead the series. Two games to one. Last time we talked, wasn't the case. They were down 0-1, and Donovan Mitchell wasn't playing on the floor. Well, things have changed, and we'll get into it. Quick thought on Donovan's return, how he provides for this team, what they're asking of him, and then ESPN's Nick Ferdell. You want to listen to him because he covers the Warriors usually, but due to Mavs clips taking away Ben McMahon, Fridell stepping in on Jazz Grizzlies, get a national perspective on the series. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Podcast brought to you by Vivint. Vivint is the nation's number one smart home service provider. They're teaming up with the Utah Jazz during the playoffs. For every Jazz assist, Vivint will send one kid to STEM summer camp. Together, we can match the success on the court with success in the classroom. Nominate a kid in your area at vivint.com STEM. Follow Vivint on social media to see who wins. Jazz have 63 assists so far in the series. But I want to get selfish to start off the pot. Before we open it up and allow Nick Ferdell to start talking. But selfishly, focusing on Donovan and the way that he's played so far through two games where he's been available, that's when the series started for me. When the Jazz have their full complement of players, it's completely different. And you could see it in game three. When the team was in need of a bucket, who did they go to? Donovan Mitchell. He can still make those plays. He uses that Rudy screen, hits the three as Valanciunas is too far off the mark. It appears as if he's reading Ryan Holiday. and The ego is the enemy because he's practicing stoicism, not doing the loud proclamations that he happened on in game two against Dylan Brooks. We can all lip read. We know it's been said in this chippy series, but three, a little bit more level-headed, stoic, doing the job, getting the business done. Favorite stat that's been bouncing around, and this comes from the broadcast statistician Tyson Ewing. Two games with Donovan available. You got 96 minutes total, right? Well, the Jazz have only trailed in the series with Donovan on the floor about three minutes. 90 minutes, they've led. So when Donovan's out there and they're asking him to make buckets, he does it. They are the better team. It goes back to what we talked about with Vernon, talking about the series. They're a young team. They're on that development curve. They're just coming up. Jazz are formed, built for this type of playoff experience and having had the Nuggets bubble playoffs, they've been together in a postseason. It's not coming together on the fly. They came together during the regular season with how well that they played towards the middle in February. This is the first experience for Memphis. First time at the rodeo. Those teams struggle more. They have varying playoff performances. But when Donovan Mitchell's in the game, when Rudy Gobert's in the game, team's just better. Rudy's got 11 blocks over the first three. They continue to challenge him for some reason, and it's not going well. Like I'll, I'll do respect to John Morant going up, trying to get that huge dunk. But for me, that's not him understanding the moment. I do respect that he's trying to get a defensive player of the year on a poster because you need that type of bravado to succeed. But in terms of understanding moment, if that's what 
Donovan, game three, totally understood. When this team needed him, he was out there. He was doing it. Like I, I looked up what they're trying to do. What are you, what are you trying to do on offense? It hubs out of Donovan usage rate. I went to his playoff performances, playoff game logs. What are the top usage rate games for Donovan Mitchell? Three of the top five are ones against the Nuggets. Another one was the Rockets series where they were asking so much of him offensively. And then game three of this series was right in there. It was second. He's their guy. And even if he's not playing these crazy minutes, he's not out there for 41, only out there for less than 30, he's still been effective. And as he ramps up, that's encouraging for a second round. Before we get to Nick, make sure you check out our other podcast on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, The Riffcast. If you miss a game, need to get caught up, want to relive what happened in Game 3, Game 4, well, The Riffcast is a place to go. It's a preview. It's a look ahead of every single game in the series. Nice new project that we're doing for the playoffs. Check it out. The Riffcast. Same place that you found here. Okay? We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. However you found us, just type in The Riffcast. You'll be able to find it. Lemma Harrington, jazz pregame host, taking over previews for this series. And, of course, I'll be around as well. And let others know that you're listening to both podcasts. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Nick Friedel, ESPN. Just a couple guys being dudes. He's a national ESPN NBA reporter, devoted Cubs fan. Hear what he has to say about the series, how impressed he's been with Donovan, this group. He's actually been high on the jazz for a while. Like last season, he was expecting what Utah put out this year with what they put out there. So he's been a believer of this squad for a while. Hear from him. Fun guy. Deep voice. It's ESPN's Nick Friedel. Yeah, I saw it first hand, JP, going back to those last couple games when it was Grizzlies-Warriors. They had that game at the end of the regular season where Dylan Brooks was all over the place and then he fouled out and changed the whole tenor of those last few minutes. But then I saw it in that last play-in game. And the guy just makes a difference. He is one of those players that can get under everybody's skin. And he's never probably going to go out and drop 40 and, and have the kind of superstar power that Ja has. But listening to all the Grizzlies players and listening to Taylor Jenkins the last couple of weeks, it, it's always the same. It's... Dylan's the engine. You know, he's the emotional heart and soul of what they're trying to do. And every team's got that guy. But there is no doubt when you see him perform, you see a player who who has no fear. And you and I both know that there are not a lot of those guys in this league who can continually raise the level of their games when everything is down on the line. And uh, I respect him for it because uh, a lot of people go into, especially on the road, they just they go into uh, uh, a, a different place and they can't perform on that same level. And he can, and he's shown it time and again so far in this series. He's perfect. Those post-game press conferences where he's wearing the sunglasses, outfits to match. 
he has the veneer that he's willing to accept it, and that's why I personally enjoy it as someone who's maybe assuming too early that it would be Steph and the Warriors and their back and forth with the Jazz. Having Dylan Brooks gives us all the storylines for this series that it could provide. When he comes up to that Zoom, I feel like he's getting ready to cut a wrestling promo. Yep. <laughs> like that's that, and that's the aura you want those those dudes to have who you want to step up <laughs> in those moments. When Dylan Brooks sits down in those sunglasses, I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Million dollar man. That's right. That's right. I mean, he's kind of he is the the big brother protector that every team loves to go uh, to. Uh, to the floor with. I, mean, I see it with the Warriors on a daily basis with Draymond. Everybody is kind of in awe of Steph, and they know how unbelievable he is, one of the all-time greats. But Draymond is that emotional <laughs> engine. And if you if you get into something with somebody, you know that he's going to have your back, and you know Dylan Brooks is going to be right there. So he is fitting into that, that playoff villain role that you mentioned. And as somebody who grew up in Orlando and – who fell in love with the game because of those Shaq and Penny teams. The aura that I watched Brooks play with is the aura that I watched Reggie Miller play with, not only in those series early, early on with the Magic, but we saw what happened through the years with the Knicks when he was playing at the Garden. There are certain players who can not only lift everybody else up, but can play even better when they're in a hostile environment, when things aren't going uh, their team's way. And uh, he's, he's definitely on that Reggie team where you go, okay, anything can happen here when he's on the floor. Is it better for you when you see a villain that it's just one out of the 12, or is it, is it better if it's like a bad boy's Pistons team where they're all <laughs> villains? Lambeer, Mahorn, Isaiah, all those players. Uh, I, I personally, I enjoyed the, the villainous nature of those Pistons teams. They were just, you just wanted anybody to beat them. It was, it was yeah. Michael and the Bulls. It was, it was whoever was going to play against them. You wanted them to be knocked out, but they loved that. I mean, they loved when when the whole arena is booing them and, and everybody's like, I don't want to see these dudes anymore. That's what gave them the power to go out there and perform. So uh, to me, I, I don't think we're ever going to see something like that again. We may see guys that fan bases don't like and, and grow to respect over time. And Dylan Brooks, certainly with the Jazz fan base, that feels like it's, it's heading in that direction. Uh, but... When you watch that Pistons team, it is rare anymore where you see all those dudes lean into, hey, I don't care if anybody likes me. I want to go out and, and knock somebody out. And, and that part, looking back, it, that, that was pretty cool. We really won't, uh, as someone who now grew up in with the NBA where I'm not seeing anybody fight during games, like the Pistons, that's just a casual occasion for them. They're, they're fighting with Bird. They're fighting with Jordan. doesn't matter. I don't think we're ever going to get that when it comes to this era of superstar and, and NBA players. No, no, it's over. It's over. Adam Silver wants no part of uh, the, the any back and forth brawling like we saw. And David Stern, 
when when he was uh, in charge, he he was coming down hard on anybody. I still remember Carmelo in that. Uh, yes, <laughs> that yes. Back and forth from a while ago. So those days are probably gone. But uh, you and I know, having grown up watching the game, that there was always more of an edge in the playoffs. And the cool part to me in watching a series like this unfold, like like we've been watching with the Jazz and Grizzlies, I don't think there's a brawl coming anytime soon, but uh, I don't think they particularly like each other. <laughs> and I think that's okay. I think that edge playing against somebody a lot, seeing the same guys over and over, that is that, that kind of stuff is good for the game. And especially when you have a young team like Memphis and a team that is growing into their own, like Utah, believes they, they can go get a title this year. These are the kind of series that plant the seeds for rivalries of like the likes of which we haven't seen much in the game anymore. So I'm I'm interested to see how the rest of this series plays out, but I'm interested to see how much of whatever bad blood there may be that, that piles up here carries over to next year and the next year because a lot of the guys that are in place on both these teams feel like they're going to be in place at least for the next few seasons. Let's talk about this series as a it has been a breakout for John Morant and just seeing Donovan come back has provided more storylines. Side note, first person to bring up a Syracuse alum just for the bingo card, Nick Friedle with Carmelo a moment ago. So just just remember that uh, when you're listening. Year will never be topped. <laughs> Mellow mentioned by Nick, but this series can go longer than it should because Memphis is so plucky and what they've shown throughout the series has been impressive with Ja, but ultimately it appears that Utah is the better team. Is that the way that you sort of see it? No doubt. And you put Donovan on that roster, and Memphis just doesn't have not only an answer for Donovan, but JP, that the talent gap is just a, 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 little, a little deeper. And in the end, you still don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I would be very surprised, very surprised if Utah can't come out of this series victorious because Donovan really feels like, and he sounds like listening to him again the last couple of weeks, like he's ready to take that step. And I know you have had a lot more conversations with a lot more people about just that, but when you have a guy who knows that everybody's counting on him to be that superstar in these moments, I think he's enjoying trying to live up to that and, and grow into that role. And on top of what he's given him in these last couple of games, then you start to see, especially at the end of game three, the defense, when they want to play it, everything looks a lot different. I feel like the last, first three quarters of that game – in game three, yeah, everybody's just going through the motions and, and everybody's getting their shots up. And then when they needed to tighten it down, I believe it was, what, 14-2? 14-2 run to end it, yeah. Seven of eight possessions, Memphis went scoreless. There you go. And when, when you've got Rudy back there, we know what he can do defensively. But when everybody knows where they need to be and they know that they've got to make a few stops, that's always the difference with teams that believe that they can go win uh, a title. And you've seen the seeds get planted the last couple seasons of development. And I think Quinn Snyder is a hell of a coach. These guys know where to be on the floor. 
and everybody feels like, all right, I, maybe it's time to click it in now, and they can't. And to see Josh struggling down the stretch and not going off like he did in game two, the adjustments were, were pretty clear and the intensity raised a little bit. And, uh, you know, to see Mike Conley after playing all those years in Memphis embrace the challenge of, hey, I, I want to stop the new face <laughs> and I want to I want to help my new team get through this uh, as a fan, as a journalist. Those are the kind of things that are pretty cool. Well, and that's why I like seeing him and Dylan Brooks go at it a little bit, where Dylan's headbutting him or give him a little couple chops as they're coming down the court because he was in that locker room with Mike towards the latter years of grit and grind. And now finally his group, the new group, is making it to the playoffs and they're trying to take down, oh, just Mike Conley, the Memphis legend. That combatant has been something that, I'm sure for Memphis fans, a little divided in, in thinking, who, who am I rooting for here? I, I know the grit and grind era is over, but now it's time for these new guys. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing how Mike Conley has played in showing how comfortable he can finally get into this offense and seeing it all hum at, at high uh, capacity. This was the Mike Conley they thought they were getting last season. Yeah. I mean, this is that guy. And... I really thought going into last year that Mike could come in and, and push the Jazz to where we see them now. I, I thought this was always within him. I, I've been a big fan of his through the years because he played in Memphis. That community, that organization, they loved him, but Memphis does not have the, the star power that a lot of these other cities do, a lot of these other teams. And I think the, the people who followed the game, they knew how good Mike Conley was, but your casual fans, they were like, ah, you know, is he really going to make that much of a difference on this team with, with Donovan and Rudy? And then last year he struggled to find his rhythm. There were a bunch of different things happening. And now finally, and he mentioned this the other night, he finally feels like, all right, I, I clicked in with this group. And, and they all know it. Donovan Mitchell comes in and says, yeah, he's, he's taking it up a little bit. Uh, and you can tell. But to come into that kind of emotional environment against the team and against former teammates, fans who have watched you all those years, and to play the way Mike did, uh, that speaks a lot to not only his ability to block all this other stuff out, but his feeling like, yeah, I, I can be the difference maker on a championship team. And that's the goal, and that will be the difference if they can keep going out of this series. Donovan reintegrating himself into the lineup after being out for game one, just playing under 30 minutes in the first two games. How have you seen him come onto the scene and still uh, be able to play with this team? He's really, really good. But what's been impressive to me is it was obvious – not only in the reporting that's come out, but in, in listening to him, I, I know he was frustrating when in there in game one. And to just go out and play and to produce when he's been out there is crucial because a lot of guys after not after feeling like they were ready to play and then and then not being able to and said, Well, we're gonna take another couple days, a lot of guys would be like, they would kind of check themselves out. And for Donovan to come back out on the floor, 
and play at this high level. It's clear that he's still shaking off some rust after being out uh, over a month, and, and that's okay right now. But when they've needed him to go make some shots, he's the guy. <laughs> and every team has that one guy. Donovan knows what his role is, and, and he knows that this is his time to, to help the group. So it's been impressive seeing him perform the way that he has. And, I, again, I'd be really surprised as his minutes start to increase a little bit if he doesn't continue to put his own stamp on every one of these games and deliver in those big moments. I was surprised seeing him make that three in front of Jonas as, as he's playing the drop big on that screen from Gobert late in game three. He hits the three, and it's more of a stoic response from Donovan rather than the jubilation that you usually see, or at least that you saw in game two when he was hissing venom being able to finally be on the floor, more stoic, more reserved from Donovan in game three. Well, I think part of it is Donovan uh, believes that this is a long run coming. <laughs> so, JP, I think he's, and he, he said as much, we've been on those Zooms, and he's, he keeps going, well, you know, it's a, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So he's got the cliches ready, but I think he's just conserving the energy because he knows what's, what lies ahead for this team if they can get out of this series. And he knows that they've got the pieces in place to, to really make that run. So I, I was a little surprised too, given the way he celebrated it at various points, but maybe it's another sign that there's some growth in how he's handling all this stuff and, and he's going to be okay. Uh, knowing that he's got another couple of months uh, in the holster there. It's not Desmond Bain over George Deang <laughs> in game one when that happened. John Morant arriving on the scene. I just want to hit on Ja uh, for a second here. It seems as if this could be his Donovan moment against the Nuggets in the bubble. Ja finally getting to the playoffs after not being able to accomplish it against the Trailblazers there. What he's doing now, how would you put it in perspective? Because you see those numbers that he's up there with Mikan, Wilt, Kareem in terms of playoff uh, points through three games. What can we see from him going forward once this team gets better and develops more? This is a young player who's not only coming into his own, but he's understanding what it takes to win in the postseason and what he is able to do. And in my own experience, what it reminds me so much of is watching Derek Rose in those early years with the Bulls. Derek Everybody remembers that playoff series against Boston where they took the Celtics to, to seven and it was unbelievable. But Derek in those games started to go, okay, I know I can produce on this platform and on this stage. And what strikes me watching John now is that confidence is just so apparent. He misses a few shots and he didn't play well down the stretch of game three. He's going to come back in game four and come right at Donovan Mitchell and right at Mike Conley because he feels like when he's playing at his best, nobody can stop him. And that's the mark of a, a really, really good player as a young player who has a chance to be really, really special over the course of the next few seasons. So I think the talent is undeniable. But what is impressive to me is the mindset because so many guys – 
they're they just don't feel like they're ready for for this moment and at age 21 to come in especially uh, against a talented team like Utah and play the way he is that's what's been really really impressive because you know that through these experiences right now win or lose for the Grizzlies he's going to remember what he's learning every time he goes out there and he's going to take it with him now as his career blossoms even more and he has the type of game that can work in this type of series, that floater in that in-between where you're not challenging Gobert at the rim, even though he did earlier in the series and it didn't go great. But the audacity, the temerity to be oh, able to, to do that, have to respect that he goes after a rim protector who could be a three-time defensive player of the year come season end. You know, I just want to shout out to Merity from the uh, the Syracuse guy back there on the mic because uh, that's pretty that's pretty good in and of itself. But you're right. I mean, that's what separates the good players from the players who can be the faces of their team and can grow uh, over the years into potentially getting into that conversation at the top of the West because the Grizzlies aren't there yet. But, JP, they got all the pieces and all the makings of a team. It reminds me, frankly, of Utah from a few years ago. You're kind of going, okay, Donovan's pretty good, and, and he's going to get better, and they're kind of on that, that next wave that Memphis would love to be on uh, in a couple seasons. So all signs point for John Morant to being one of the top players in the game. If he continues to work the way he has to this point, and he continues to show that attitude of nobody's going to stop me. I don't care if he's sitting there in front of the rim. I'm going right at him. All of that will benefit him really, really well down the line. And it's going to be really cool to see how his career grows from a building block like it appears that this series will be for him. I went to class in between – Knights of Chucks and Fagans. Don't worry. boy. They could be a frisky 4-5 matchup when it comes down to it. That's the only thing is that they really were jobbed by not having Jaron Jackson Jr. during the regular season. If they, if they climbed up a little bit higher, they could have posed a bigger problem when it comes to the playoffs. Because that, that's what Donovan and the Jazz did three years ago when they were beating Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Mello, and that OKC team was that was a four five, and it could have gone either way. Grand scheme of things for that West bracket for this team, they would take on the winner of Clippers Mavs, and as that series seesaws between thinking, oh, the Mavs have this, to Clippers fighting back, Luca, we don't know what's going on with him and his injuries that he's dealing with. How do you see Utah matching up with? either team coming out of that series well everybody was just burying the clippers a few days yeah. ago that all oh, that series is over uh, just forget everything you built oh, i can't believe they gave up all those picks and it just goes to show you especially in the postseason when you have the caliber of players that Kawhi and paul george have shown to be through the years you can't just delete a team you know, you can't just give up on them completely. So you would think, given what we've just seen in games three and four, that the Clippers would move on. 
but nobody knows because you never would have thought that at the home the Clippers would have faded as bad as they did and lost games one and two. To your point uh, about if the Jazz can get through this series, I, I would not want to face the Clippers. I just would not want any piece of Kawhi in the playoff stage because of what we've already seen from him over the last few years. If you're the Jazz, I, even then, I think they believe that they can get through anybody as they should after what they've done in the regular season. But you and I both know it's one thing to do it in the regular season. And it was my biggest question about the Jazz all year. And this is coming from someone who believed that the leap the Jazz have taken this season would, was going to happen last season. I mean, I got crushed all year because I was like, I don't know if the, the Lakers are a, a title contender yet. I thought Utah is going to be that team. And people were like, Utah, are you kidding me? Utah. And now, a year later, you get through the bubble and we've seen what they've done. The issue is we've never seen them do it in the playoffs, not with this group. And not that the Clippers have done it together as a group, but we have seen Kawhi do it. And that, to me, is your biggest question going into that series is who is, is going to take that matchup personally and slow him? Is Paul George, after all the stuff he's been listening to the last few seasons, is he going to be able to, to rise up and lift up uh, his own game? Uh, is, is Donovan, when we've talked about it throughout this conversation, but is he going to be able to show us a little bit more and carry Utah down the stretch? If it's Utah Clippers, that is going to be a hell of a back and forth. And if Luka comes back and, and he's feeling better and he can rally the Mavericks, it's all well and good. I just think Utah is a much more talented team. The Clippers scare me, and, be, and they scare me because of the championship pedigree that the top end of that roster has. And those two wings, that's a lot to ask of Royce O'Neal yeah. to handle one of them. Right. You, I mean, you can't put him on both. Right. So he, he's going to have to eliminate one of them. And, and that's such a tall ask. That would be a very challenging matchup for the Clippers, but one that I'm sure that they anticipated heading into this year. And one of the reasons why they and made the moves that they did this offseason. And, and that's the, the other difference is you mentioned Royce O'Neal. JP, we're watching him just rain down threes in game three. Yeah. And and he's just feeling more confident every time he walks back and forth down the floor. It's like, okay, here comes another one. When you get into a series and you're being asked to give that type of effort that you're going to need to have on both ends, how many times have we seen it impact uh, a guy on the other end of the floor? And that would be the other part of this is, Utah offensively has been so good throughout the year. Just they're hitting threes from all over the place, but it's a lot easier to do when it's not Kawhi and Paul George coming at you. So uh, I I would still lean towards Utah being able to find a way through. It feels like the pieces are lined up for them to make a run. Uh, but if I learned anything being around Tibbs for all those years in Chicago, uh, I can hear him right now going, you're skipping steps. This is a very, very difficult Memphis team. And they are a team that thrives when people go, ah, I don't think they have it this year. I don't, I don't think there's enough. So if Utah gets 
the Clippers and and everybody makes it through, uh, then then they can start to worry about that. But as far as the here and now, uh, especially going into game four and beyond, you need the Royce O'Neals and the Ingles, you need those guys to hit those shots early to create the space for everyone else and then Donovan to close it out down the stretch. And if they can do that in this series, as they get into the Clippers or Dallas, whomever it may be, then they're going to have that muscle memory of, all right, we just did this, we can do it again. Do you have an extension to that Tibbs impression? Or is it just limited, limited fake? The magic is in the work. I mean, we could go on. I, I could spit out some different... Uh, different uh, quotes through the years but uh there is nobody quite like that that guy it's it's a shame too because that knicks team they they got everybody so hyped up and that series is not looking too good for them right now but that is not a team we're talking about utah growing and memphis taking another step if the knicks can get that one more star in there whoo, the garden is gonna be is gonna be rocking, but that is uh, that's a little bit down the line, I think. How many times did you see Tibbs smile when you were covering him in the Bulls? Not many, <laughs> not many. Now, I will say this people are like, Oh, Tibbs is crazy, he's a robot. There is another side to Tibbs, Tibbs is actually pretty funny. And, and when he's not on the sidelines and he's not so locked in on basketball. Completely different person, uh, a person that a lot of people like, and they hear that and they go, Tibbs, you're kidding me. But that's just, that's the way it goes. I mean, that is the way it goes. And, and as you well know, there is a public side, so many of the people in this business, and there's a private side. And a lot of times it doesn't match up uh, to what you think it may be. That's why I found the story that you did the other day on Tibbs and Randall so interesting because so many people leave Tibbs, but still eventually come back. Even even when they think, oh, that Tibbs, that's a crazy person that I don't want to deal with him. They're back. And, and they appreciate those workouts that they did with him. And even the guys who don't come back to play for him, the coolest part to me in listening to these stories is the life lessons that they learn from being around Tibbs all the time, as much as he drives them insane sometimes, those stick with all of these guys. And, and that's, that's the cool part of sports. That's why we get into the business to, to hear about those kind of stories. But there is a bond, a certain bond for teams and coaches who play at the highest level and who go through all the ups and downs that come into a season and, Tibbs is another example of you're just never quite sure how the ending is going to play out because there's a lot of work still to do in New York with JP, you and I both know there were a lot of people who were like, oh, he's never going to get another job after the Minnesota implosion. It'll never happen. And I'm going, I don't know. I think somebody might roll the dice. And then lo and behold, it was the Knicks and things are looking good. But uh, I, and I tie it back to Utah in this sense. It just never happens where a team comes together and, and Brooklyn's trying to, to buck this trend in the postseason, but it takes years. It takes years of building young pieces and players and watching them grow together with a coach. And, and that is time honored. 
So Utah is in that place right now where it looks like this may be the year and this may be the run. But it goes with any of those Bulls teams with Tibbs and any of the teams that came before. It's always a, a matter of uh, of another basketball Tibbsism. It's the the well this this Tibbs the Tibbs wasn't all the way on this. This was more. Uh, Philly and Embiid, but it was trust the process. And it wasn't just Embiid being this guy in the middle of the floor doing this, but I, I took that in a lot of different directions in that you've got to know the players that you have on your roster and you've got to trust that everybody will be in position to grow together. And the great teams always find a way because they've gone through it for so many years that when the time comes to perform, uh, they're ready for it. To chronicle Jazz Grizzlies, make sure to check out the coverage on ESPN from our guest, Nick Friedel of ESPN. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, bud.